Hello, and you are here with me, Kevin Stevenson, on I Don't Care with, you guessed it, me, on Market Scale Radio. Also available on Spotify and iTunes. Hey, we're happy to be with you this morning, and I've got a great show today. Uh, one of my uh, one of my friends, Christian Torres, has been in the medical coding, billing, kind of revenue cycle world for about 25 years, and he's got some great insight on how the coding and the billing of a patient encounter, how it affects not only the physician provider and how it affects the consumer as well. Because, you know, if if things aren't done correctly, uh, there could be a huge impact to both uh, to both the physician and the, the consumer. But you know what? We're going to wait. I'm going to let him talk from uh, uh, from the expert's point of view. But uh, we'll be back here in just a few with Christian Torres talking about coding on I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. Okay, and we're back with I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. And who'd have thought I've got yet another Baylor University grad on my podcast. Say hello to my good friend, Christian Torres. Hi, hey, Christian. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? We are doing really well. And Christian, tell us about what you do. All right, I have a company that I, as I think about it, I cannot believe it's already been over 20 plus years good that I've been doing it. That's... You don't look that old. <laughs> so what we do is the new kind of buzzword for my industry is called revenue cycle management or in other terms, you've heard it called medical billing. Okay. okay. So we help doctor's offices, other healthcare providers, whether they're therapy, counselors, you name it. We basically help them with their billing. Okay. We help them get paid by the insurance and really we help them navigate the ever-changing world uh, insurance claim filing. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable how much it changes. Well, you know, we do have some listeners, surprisingly enough, who aren't healthcare geeks like you and me. So explain a little bit about the whole coding process and, and, and all of that because it'd be fun for some of our listeners uh, to hear about that from your perspective. Okay, a few years ago, uh, healthcare providers really started implementing what's called electronic healthcare records. Mm-hmm. Before, they used to handwrite these notes. And Dude, would I remember those days. Take them hours with gigantic stacks of charts in their desks and their offices but they are moving to electronic health records. So instead of handwriting all their notes, they're hitting tablets, computers, or have they or they have scribes with them okay. that are clicking things as yeah. they go along. So when you go into a doctor's office and you want to see them for a reason, everything has a code. Whether Shit. it's a procedure code, what they perform on you, okay. or an ICD-10 diagnosis code. For okay, wait now. Absolutely. Uh, here we go. ICD-10. Can't tell. Yeah, we speak in a lot with a lot of acronyms. I know, I know. What is ICD-10? International Classification of Diseases, Volume Ten. Okay, they've thrown this at us nine previous times. Oh my gosh! So what's the crazy thing is with this new ICD-10 version, there used to be, let's say, diabetes. Okay. Let, they used to be around maybe 50 codes for diabetes. Okay. Whether you had diabetes that are normal, you have something that has, something's wrong with your circulation. Okay. Maybe That's diabetes affecting your vision. Okay. So it wasn't too hard to select a diagnosis code mm-hmm. and they would check it and then everything would get billed. Easy enough. Okay. Easy enough. However. Oh, great. Here we go. With the new ICD-10, 
it went from and and I don't have this number in front of me. I should have it, but it is like a crazy like diabetes now has like two hundred codes oh, that they have to select from. So that becomes you know the doctors are used to clicking or saying hey they have diabetes with this. Yeah. So it's really becoming a hassle for the providers to really detail what it is that they're trying to say you have as a patient. Okay. What you're sick with. And, and it's really detailed. It like, is detailed you know, to where. And if I'm not mistaken, ICD-10 has something like 60,000 plus. Yes, points. yes. And so, so for example, I mean, if, you're, if you have a skateboard accident and you break your left leg... Uh, there could be a code for that. There absolutely is. Oh, gee. But there's a diagnosis for a fall off of a skateboard. Okay. Instead of just a fall where you got hurt before. Yeah, okay. But now, okay, now how you broke your leg. What part of the leg did you break it? Was your left leg, your right leg, the top, oh the gosh. bottom? Where, you know, was it? it it's, it's crazy. Oh, gosh. And so the most Who did the this? Is this a government thing? It has to be. Yeah, <laughs> so providers have this most difficult time selecting the right diagnosis codes. Okay. It can really... Yeah, uh, because you get used to coding the same d disease. You know, you've got so many patients that come in with... Like you said, diabetes or COPD, hypertension, hypertension and, and good grief. I've been using the same code for a long time. Right. So uh, that's changing. Okay. They don't want you to do that anymore. Okay. So let's say you're used to just selecting hypertension, yeah. generic hypertension. Okay. You're actually going to start, the providers are going to get started to pay less uh, if they use the generic so, non-specific So codes. you've got to get as specific as possible. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So... With that, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about what. How does that impact a, a, a physician's office? Yeah, you know, okay. with all these codes and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, really, with the electronic health record, they were trying to get rid of paperwork, trying okay. to make things easier. But then along comes the change of Medicare and Medicaid, and okay. so and even private insurances mm -hmm. get in on this. So before, if you had Medicare, Medicaid. Medicare is for is the insurance for those 65 and over. Right. They automatically get Part A if they paid in while working. Gotcha. Part B is the doctor side that they pay a small portion. Yeah. Small deductible every year. So yeah. you have Part A and B. And then Medicaid it deals with more of an indigent. Right. And okay. I bring that in or supplement insurance, yeah. AARP or something. So what's happened, let me rephrase that. What has exploded uh, over the past few years is what's called Medicare replacement plans. Right. So Absolutely. instead of having just Medicare, now you can have United Healthcare Medicare, Aetna Medicare. This is like a Medicare Advantage plan. Exactly. Yeah. It's a Medicare yeah, Advantage we've, plan. Yeah, we've talked about that on the show before. And uh, and so basically what a Medicare Advantage plan does, to to recap for the listeners, it, it replaces your Medicare. It's like your old managed care plan when you were working uh, in your career. Yes, you're yeah. exactly right. Which sounds easy enough. Mm -hmm. However, not only do you have to follow the Medicare guidelines, now each insurance company, right. has, they apply their own guidelines and you have to apply for network credentials. Yeah. Meaning you can't just see a patient unless you've applied through these mountains of paperwork. Yeah to be allowed in the network to see patients. Okay, okay. Uh, so um, why would why would somebody even do that? Why would somebody go into a Medicare Advantage plan though? Mm, they like to dangle a bunch of carrots in front yeah, of their patients. Yeah. Hey, here's some free transportation. Here's, instead of the standard X number of prescriptions you get a month, 
we're going to double it. Yeah. Okay. You know, because... Yeah. There, there are a lot of perks to it. I mean, there's some plans that you get free, uh, you'll get a free gym membership right. or, you know, you'll get, uh, uh, you'll get meals after you have surgery or stuff like that. So, and what's crazy about that is because Medicare, uh, budget wise, there's X amount of dollars mm-hmm. they have budgeted per individual for every person with Medicare across the country. Yeah. So if you opt out of your traditional Medicare and go to a advantage plan, that advantage plan gets that money yeah. that was earmarked for the right. patient. Right. So now the advantage plan is managing the money and now you're really getting to the old, old adage of a health maintenance organization yeah. known as HMOs. HMO. So you can't get anything done without getting approval from that. Yeah, you got to have pre-authorization oh. and all that. So, so okay, so so back to the whole coding process mm-hmm. and, and everything in a physician's office, the billing and coding aspect. Uh, you know, I've I've run across some physicians in the past too. You know, on on appearances, their offices look like they're tremendously successful. They've got a lot of people in the waiting rooms. They have really nice offices. They have a ton of staff. And yet, you know, I knew a physician personally who had to borrow, take a second mortgage out against his house to make his payroll one time because of billing and coding issues. Right. So, you know, so there's a lot of physicians now who are are selling their independent practices to uh, various groups just so they don't have to be in the business of healthcare so that they can go back to what they were called to do originally and that was provide care to people. Right. A okay. lot of the doctors, they just want to provide care. They yeah. don't want to go through the hoops of billing, yeah. which is why companies like myself mm-hmm. have formed because they can outsource it to us right. and we handle it for right. them. Well, okay, here's a, here's a uh, question that, that I have. Uh, typically in a physician's office, let's say a pretty active physician's co- office, how many of their staff are dedicated to just dealing with the billing and coding, the revenue cycle aspect right. of, uh, of things. So, and typically you have just the medical billing. You'll have anywhere from three to five girls, depending on the Good size. Great. And I say girls, it can yeah, be males, females, you know what I mean? That's sure. just uh, what I go through. Yeah. But what's happened now is, and this is where it kind of affects you as a patient or yeah. a consumer, is that with all of those hoops we have to jump through to get pre-authorizations, They've gotten away from certain areas of staff members in the office, but the pre-op department has just exploded. Yeah. And so they can't do anything without calling an insurance. Mm-hmm. And if you ever tried to call an insurance company, yeah. you're sitting on hold for 20 minutes yeah. until you get approved. At least, at least. So, so basically a physician has to spend a lot of their overhead on this versus maybe having another nurse or another exactly, yes. another medical assistant or somebody like that who can actually lay hands on the patient and provide direct patient care or they may not be able to you know supplement their income with providing additional testing or, or interventions in their office so then patients end up having to be sent out for those right and you, which is another cost right you walk into an office and you'll see a half a dozen uh, employees just in the front desk alone. Yeah, right. Because you're just like, man, there's a lot of people working here. Yeah. And so the front desk, and I put that in quotes, which mm-hmm. includes sure. part, part billing, is uh, really has just exploded for offices. Yeah, and it puts a lot of pressure on the doctor too because not only are they a physician, they're, they're a small business owner. Right. And they're having to make payroll. They're having to make sure that, that, they're, uh, that they're meeting their overhead and exceeding that. 
you know, I know a lot of docs who, who frankly don't take much of a salary. Everybody thinks, hey, doctors make all this money. Many of them really don't. Right. They don't. They, you know? they, there's a lot of gross revenue. Yeah. But once you factor in all their expenses, it can dwindle down really quickly. Yeah. And particularly if you've got, you know, a, a relatively young doctor who might still be paying off student loans. Mm -hmm. They, you know, in, in medical medical school debt is typically north of about $200,000. Wow. And so, you know, these guys, you know, there's no wonder why so many medical grads come out now and they say, you know what, I'd just rather be employed. I right. don't want I don't want to open my own office. I would rather, you know, go to work for uh, a hospital system or right. or a large clinic or something like that where they don't have to deal with it. Plus the benefits of that too is, you know, they they they're probably not taking call. Right. Uh, they're probably, you know, have a pretty set schedule. They don't have to work a lot every weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they actually, you know, and, and frankly, it's kind of good for physicians to have a, a more balanced quality of life. Right. Right. So, so anyway, thing about um, about their revenue and how that affects them. Okay. Um, you know, with having to do all of these pre-authorizations, the doctors have quite a bit of expense to run these tests, to run yeah. these labs, to run all these things. And if they don't jump through the right hoop and dot the right I, cross the right T, it's gonna, it costs them. The insurance oh, can deny, the insurance absolutely. will deny. And because it was the doctor's fault that mm -hmm. they didn't do it right, it's now their cost. Yeah, The patient gets true. the service, the doctor wants the patient to get the benefit, but then now they don't get reimbursed yeah, for, that, for, the, for the test. That's real true. And, and of course, you know, people, if somebody were to call into a physician's office and say, hey, how much is your, you know, just just a, a regular office visit? Mm -hmm. And they get a number and they think, holy cow, that's a big number. It could wow. be $180 of visit. It could be more than that on a, on a new patient or whatever. But the consumer really doesn't understand the fact that, you know, physicians, other providers, hospitals set their pricing as such. And rarely do you collect that right i mean Very it rarely right. happens uh you know on the hospital side if we collect you know 28 30 percent that's good that's a good number you know uh and people then say well okay everybody's talking about pricing transparency why can't you just post the actual price out there and so back in the day i know you know early on in my in my hospital career we still had some insurances that would pay 100% of charges. Oh, Remember those good old days. Man. And so so you left your you left your 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 charge at a at a high number because there were some insurances out there paying that. And then everybody else's contracts were based on percent of charges. Correct. And so that's where that's why there's that disconnect and that's why you know the the old anecdotes out there about hospitals charging $40 for a Tylenol tablet. You know that that could have happened, but for the most part, you they know, weren't getting forty. They weren't. They, yeah, they they might have been getting you know forty cents if if that. So. And, and to add to that is, you cannot have different charges right based on the patient's payer source. Right, that's illegal. Right. That's right. And so what you have to do is they have to set their price high enough to meet that one contract that pays the best, yeah. and then they write off the difference. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and you know now with the advent of high deductible health plans, people certainly want to know what the costs are mm -hmm. because you know if you've got a deductible that 
you might be on the hook for the first six, eight, ten thousand dollars uh, of your medical expenses. You know, you're actually out there trying to shop, right? And, and so, yeah. And if you're not a Medicare, Medicaid patient, those are about the only plans that actually publish yeah. their fee schedule. Yeah, meaning what they're going to allow for that right. particular service. Right. And for some reason, it's a mystery on all these other insurance companies. You have to send in a fax request or oh, yeah. put in a request and we'll get back to you eventually what, what the allowed amount is. Yeah. And so normally, most contracts now are percentage based off of Medicare. Mm-hmm. So, right. so for that being said, it used to be back in the day when you, like how you mentioned they got paid a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one example where we had a client where we did newborn hearing testing. Okay. Which okay. is a required test right. for every right. newborn in the state right. of Texas. Right. So they would do it. And back in the day, we were getting paid around $100, $120 okay. for the test, which pays for the equipment, the, the technician. Yeah. It's it's not like, oh, wow, that's a lot of money for this test. But mm-hmm. you know, there was some, there was quite a bit of sure. cost involved. Sure. And then one day, Medicaid, because in the area that I was at mm-hmm. was primarily Medicaid, they just flipped the switch and reduced the dollar amount that they were paying, the fee schedule amount, to like twenty six dollars. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and 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 like you said, you you know you've got you've got a capital investment in equipment. You've got a tech that is probably doing the testing, and then you've got a professional, a physician who has gone to school, Who's to re- who who is a, reading who is test. reading this test, and yet you're you know you're making like twenty seven bucks right. or whatever. And so what ha- guess what happened to that company? Yeah, right. They they, went they closed down. Yeah, because. Even right. though we were one of the largest ones taking care of the entire uh, mm-hmm. Gulf Coast in the state of Texas. It was, sure. it was an insane. Sure. It was insane. Okay, we've kind of danced all around it, but how does how does all this billing and coding really affect the consumer? Ooh, okay. Yeah. So, we talked about diagnosis. Yeah. We've talked about managed care, because it's really yeah. what it's coming right. to, right. where the insurances are requiring. So, they have... For almost all of these tests, mm-hmm. they have what's called a limited coverage diagnosis okay. or a national coverage diagnosis, LCD or NCD, okay. meaning that for only these particular diagnosis codes will they pay for this sonogram, will they pay for this test, gotcha. will they pay for this procedure. So we talked about how the diagnosis codes have changed. So a doctor may turn around and say, hey, you have diabetes, but if they didn't select the right diabetes that's super, yeah. super duper yeah. detailed, mm-hmm. they won't get paid for it. Okay. Which means in turn, it may go towards patient responsibility. Right, right. And so if they send out lab, like for example, you've heard of Quest and of LabCorp. Of course. So they're getting lab work drawn. They're sending it out to these companies. Mm-hmm. And they're marking on there your insurance, yeah. your diagnosis, and then LabCorp or Quest will get and look at it, run it, it gets denied yeah. because of the wrong diagnosis or then not right. specific enough. Right. So now you all of a sudden get an email or open a letter and now you owe one of these lab companies yeah. a huge dollar amount. Well, and you brought up something else too that, that really consumers need to look at because even if you have the same injury year, Insurances will go in there and they'll they'll try to recon, you know contract with mm-hmm. other providers. That's right. And it's typically I've seen that in lab a lot because so one year you know for example you may have Aetna insurance and they have a contract with LabCorp. 
Correct. Okay. So that whole year, you're going to LabCorp. You're used to that. Your doctor is used to that. That's the doctor's used to it. And then the next year, hey, Aetna changed their lab provider to Quest, for, right. let's say. And so maybe your maybe your doctor, you know, maybe it's in January. It's early in the year. The doctor didn't know. Maybe they didn't get good communication from the health plan. And so hey, they sent you to LabCorp for your test, and, and they did now? it. And guess what? You're on the hook for that. You're on the hook because it's out of network. That's right. So it's super important for you to know when you have a preferred lab company, yeah. who it is, so that way you can communicate that to the doctor yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Super exactly. important. Oh, and so oh, real quick. Okay. So let's say you did get a bill. Yeah. You need to get back with your provider. Call them up yeah. and say, hey, you sent it either to the wrong one mm -hmm. or maybe the diagnosis was wrong. It's okay to call your provider and ask them yeah. questions as to... So can you appeal this? You can appeal a diagnosis, okay, but you can't appeal it going to the wrong right. lab. To the right. wrong it's lab too late. Because the yeah. lab already ran it's it. It's too late. So okay. a doctor can turn around and say, hey, I'm, I didn't give the right diagnosis code. Okay. You do have diabetes. You have hypertension yeah. with heart disease. And that's what they wanted as opposed to okay. just a generic uncontrolled hypertension. Okay. That makes sense. So, you know, we talk a lot about, about reducing healthcare costs. How does the whole billing and uh, the coding aspect help to potentially reduce the overall cost of healthcare? Well, it's gotten so detailed. It's helping providers and insurance company to really pay closer attention to okay. what they're ordering and why. Okay. Because when the providers who do know, hey, this test only covers for this and this and this, and you don't have it, they're not going to waste their time and order an extra test that may not be covered at their expense. And so okay. they want to make sure that they are ordering and taking care of what they're supposed to order for yeah. you because of all these new codes. So, so in a sense that because of this specificity, it's probably reducing unnecessary tests. It can. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's you know, that's that's a plus. But but I think it just goes back to what, what we always say is you know, you, you're your best healthcare advocate. That's right. You have got to know not only, you know, your, the, your health personally and take charge of your own health, but you've really got to be very familiar with uh, whoever's paying your bills, your health plan, whether it be on, uh, you know, like we were saying, Medicare, Medicaid, or, uh, you know, or Blue Cross, or Health United Plan, anything like that. And I got to be honest. I mean, I've been in the industry thirty years. There's oftentimes I'll start looking at that, and it doesn't make sense to it me. Doesn't. And I speak the language, right? And so it's very daunting to under, yeah. to know. And so you know, you can call your the eight hundred number. Mm -hmm. It's a little less waiting when it's for the patient calling, right. as opposed to a provider calling. Yeah. Or you can also your HR department, or let's say you buy your insurance from an agent. Yeah. Call your agent. Yeah, absolutely. Call them up and ask them questions. That's, yeah. That's make, them, make them earn their commission. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christian, anything, any last minute uh, remarks that you'd like to touch on? It's very difficult for your doctor. Yeah. It, it, it's difficult for these providers' offices. It's getting ever more challenging. Yeah. And so um, you want to have a little grace with them. But at the same time, you want to give them the right information also. Yeah, that's uh, right. You know, a lot of, you know, providers in the front will ask you, hey, has your insurance changed? Mm -hmm. And they're asking the wrong question. 
Mm-hmm. They need to be asking you, what is your insurance? Right. Because maybe your insurance changed seven months ago at the beginning of the year, but now it's August and you're barely going in. Yeah. Hey, good job. You're barely going into the doctor. Yeah, uh, yeah. But in your mind, you're like, yeah, no, my insurance hasn't changed. Yeah. But it did way back when. Right. So it's good to just be proactive and make sure they have the right information. Awesome. Christian, it was great having you on I Don't Care. And we're going to have you back later because I guarantee you, This will generate some questions. (laughs) Appreciate the time. All right, thanks. And we're back. How about that? That was pretty interesting, right? Uh, Kristen had some good insights on coding and how, how really each patient needs to be aware of not only the health plan that they have, but also, you know, uh, make sure that their, that their provider is uh, referring them to the appropriate, say, lab or, or whatever. Uh, so make sure that, as we keep saying, make sure that you're taking full control of your healthcare, not only from a, from a clinical point of view, but also from a financial point of view as well. So uh, I hope you got as much out of that as I did. It was, it's always fascinating to hear uh, a little bit about the financial side uh, of healthcare. And with that, I'm going to say sign off and hope you have a great day. Also, uh, we're always looking for great uh, topics for I Don't Care. So make sure that you have a good idea or if you just want to tell us how great we are, hopefully. Uh, send that into our email address. It's I Don't Care at marketscale.com. Yes, it's I Don't Care at marketscale.com. So with that, this is Kevin Stevenson, and we will talk to you next week.